Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers Podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Okay, I'm very excited to welcome our guest today. As I shared last week, we are going to be featuring some of our speakers and session um, producers from our upcoming online conference for Arts Integration and STEAM. And if you haven't already registered, make sure you do so. Go on over to artsintegrationconference.com and get all the details. Today, we are welcoming Shelly Hutchinson. Shelly is a choreographer, dancer, actress, and producer in New York City. She's the choreographer for So You Think You Can Dance Europe on creative teams in operas such as Candide, Samson and Delilah, and Aida. She's had television appearances, which include MTV, CBS Morning Show, ABC, Saturday Night Live, Law & Order, HBO, and The Today Show. She teaches all levels and ages at performing arts schools and conventions in the US, Europe, South America, Japan, Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas, and her performing credits include the Radio City Music Hall, Warner Brothers Films, Disney, and several off-Broadway and regional theater, national and European tours, including Fame the Musical, Bye Bye Birdie, Irene, and West Side Story. Audition choreographer for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines and choreographer for New York Musical Festival Productions, Shelley has been nominated for Outstanding Choreography for Occasion for Sin as part of Planet Connections Theater Festivity. She's currently the adjunct professor at Pace University, on faculty at Broadway Dance Center, Joffrey Bass Ballet School, and Paradance in New York City. She also owns a production company that focuses on live charity concerts in New York City. So please join me in welcoming Shelly Hutchinson. All right. So welcome, Shelly, to the podcast. If you wouldn't Thank mind, you. could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. Uh, my name is Shelly Hutchinson, and I am a producer and creative director. And uh, I, you know, had a pretty extensive performing career for about uh, maybe 20 years uh, in TV and film, stage, musical theater, um, contemporary and um, jazz companies. And I've always taught throughout all of that. Um, I started teaching when I was 13, assistant teaching when I was 13. I probably oh. taught my first class when I was 19. It's always been a part of what I really love to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always taught all levels. So, you know, from very absolute beginner to advanced professional dancers, obviously in working in choreography, um, you know, working with professionals, but also working with non-dancers and actors and singers mm -hmm. and you know, what, who you would consider non-dancers who they would consider themselves non-dancers. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very comfortable working with um, all different levels and ages. And um, so now I'm mainly uh, producing and uh, choreographing and uh, loving it. Nice. Actually, one of our team members, our, our chief academic officer, she took a class from you. I know, because when I said you were going to be on the show, she was like, fun fact, I took a classroom, Shelly, oh, when I was in so New York. Cool. Yeah, so, so cool. <laughs> your experience. 
experience kind of extends who knows how far, which is so much like a teacher, right? Like you never know where your impact is going to fall. A hundred percent. I think, which is why it's so important as a teacher to be sort of open-minded in the sense of like recognizing that learning just happens everywhere and anywhere. And when someone, you know, let's say signs up for my class, you know, um, you know, it could be anything from like zooming a class and having their camera off and you don't know who they are. It could very well be a Broadway star training for a show, which has happened. <laughs> or, you know, it could be, you know, a, 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 you know, one of my best friend's kids from high school who are all grown now are coming to class. You never really know. And so I think it's always important for open mind and recognizing that, you know, learning happens anywhere and it happens with anyone at any time. And I just think keeping that open mind and recognizing that, you know, the creativity that can happen in the moment mm-hmm. is, can be really, really fulfilling if, if you're ready for it, if you just constantly absolutely. keep that open mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, like all good teachers, uh, I'm sure you have a favorite experience because I'm, I'm listening to all of these incredible experiences that you have. And I'm thinking, wow, like how would you even begin to pick a favorite? But I'm sure you have one. So I I do have a favorite. I mean, I, you know, I do, I really do love working in TV. So I have to say, I really did love working on So You Think You Can Dance. Um, Mm -hmm. I know it's kind of like a heavy hitter in terms of like the title and what people know. Um, But that's not the reason why I loved it. I think I loved it because I just loved being able to create on and with people who I had never met before. And so you have this Mm. like instant, like need to learn about each other, to know each other, to learn how each other works very quickly. And you're kind of in this fast paced environment together. And it really just kind of promotes this trust in each other. And this idea that like, you have to lean on each other um, to get through it successfully and to, you know, make, create something really impactful. Um, I think you really just have to listen to each other. And I think listening is just such an important tool that I'm always working on. How can I listen better? You know, Um, I actually produced the talent show at my kids elementary school (laughs) and I loved it it was probably one of my top three experiences out of my life create creatively and the reason why is because you know I had over like a hundred and I don't know 100 kids or something we had over 100 acts and you know the show was fast-paced and it was really fun and we had a good time but all these kids most of them were self-taught And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Like watching, you know, what they did in their little auditions in January. And by the time May came around, they had practiced and practiced and it mattered to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Singing, dancing, uh, playing a musical instrument, rapping, um, ventriloquists, like so cool. And I just, I I have to say it, it made me feel so proud of them and of me and of us for putting together such an awesome show in such a short amount of time with like no real theater background, any of them. And it, they were amazing. Like the response from the parents and the audience was just, they were so happy and proud. The energy was really high. And that was probably one of my top three experiences of my career mm-hmm. is the talent show at my kids' elementary school. It was really, really like, this is why I love to do what I do because to mm-hmm. see everyone so happy and proud of themselves for working hard and actually completing something like that, it was it was really, really special. Don't you find it interesting though? Like, I think sometimes we underestimate our kids. Like, oh, yeah. 
that they are at this level, but really if they have the capacity to go so much higher, right. Do you find that, do you find that with your, your students as well? A hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, I, and I talk about this with my own children all the time that, you know, when we talk about who is smart, who is intelligent, we're really referring to academics, but you know, my kids and I talk about it all the time. If you're a rapper, you have to be one of the most intelligent people out there. How do you remember those lyrics, that fast pace? How are you able to coordinate that and vocalize it that quickly? And then with music and then with rhythm and then with, with uh, intention and a strong message behind it. You have to be really smart to be able to do that. To be, uh, we talk about this, a dub, to be a WWE wrestler. You mm-hmm. have to be really smart to remember all those plays, all that body coordination, all that physical coordination to be able to manage that weight and impact on your body. You have to be smart. And so when I am in the classroom with, let's say I'm teaching a beginner workshop for jazz or something, you know, I think all of these people are so highly intelligent, all of them in so many different ways, probably they don't, may not be intelligent all in the same way, right? But like, how do I tap into that intelligence with them? I have to get to know them first, but I have to think, gosh, to be able to know how to hold your leg up for a little bit longer than just a second, take some intelligence because you have to know what what muscles to use. You have to know what muscles to recruit to do that. Um, So yes, I feel that there is, especially with children, we underestimate them a lot. And we think that we are the teachers when really they are. And, you know, what they're doing is showing us what we need to see. And what they're doing is showing us how we can be more creative in what the message is that we're trying to deliver. Right. So mm-hmm. like when something's not working with a kid and you're, you're working with them and trying to teach them something and it's just not clicking. Okay. How do I get more creative and how I can think of another way to do this with them? I need to take another approach. They're teaching me how to be more creative. So I agree with you hundred percent. I think we totally underestimate intelligence all across the board mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. and where intelligence lies. Like, where does that lie? You know? Right. Exactly. And that when we say smart, why does it always mean you know, be pigeonholed into this intellectual component where smart can be so many different things. I totally agree with that. One of the other things that you shared was that the idea of listening to each other when you're working on, so you think you can dance, the idea of having to listen to each other. And it's so interesting to me because my background is as a music, as a musician. And so especially a choral musician. So like listening to balance and to the people around you and, and making sure that listening is the most important thing you're doing, not singing, which is counterintuitive, um, is, is so resonating with me right now. Um, and it leads me to something else. Oftentimes I think, um, right now, particularly in education, teachers' voices are somewhat not heard. They're not being listened to. How do you in dance find that um, you can can bring listening to the forefront? I mean, I know how to do it in choral music, but I'm, I'm wondering, like, how does that happen for you in dance? And does that help your mental state? I mean, I think listening in general helps our mental state. Mm. Well, I think, you know, it's really easy to get people to listen to you when you start off talking to them about what is right with them versus what is wrong with them, Um, how to correct, how to, um, you know, better what we're doing, how to learn. And when we're learning, we're assuming that we don't really know what we're 
talking about, right? It's like, I've assumed that a lot of times people come into class and sometimes I say, I am just gonna assume that no one knows what they're doing right now and that's okay, we're gonna start from scratch because it kind of takes the pressure off. But I'll always start with, you know, what I see about them um, that is a positive. And I think mm-hmm. in that way, I, immediately their attention is, okay, I like where this is going. <laughs> this feels good, <laughs> this feels good. And when it feels good, I learn better. Uh, when I'm happier, I learn better. Um, so I feel like starting off from that point and kind of staying mm. in that in that area, I think is really helpful um, to, in learning. So I, you know, I, I, I feel like that's one way to sort of promote listening more as a teacher is, you know, getting in there and, and sort of making it a, a pool of positivity um, and, you know, really starting from that place. And, and then, you know, saying like, okay, now these are the things that I would like for you to work on. And let me explain why, let me explain how I think this might work for you. Um, You know, sort of offering it as like, it's here, take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing I can force you to do. It's a choice. Um, You know, take the choice and make it for yourself. Most of the time uh, it gets followed, but you know, there are a lot of times when, you know, especially teaching little ones that may, may be, um, more on a beginner level in in a dance class, you know, the energy can be high and their energy is all over the place. And I remember one time I was teaching a Zoom class over the summer, as I have been all year from my basement. And I was teaching maybe eight eight year olds and nine year olds. And um, their class was an hour and a half. It was actually very long. It was a contemporary class and I could not lock them in. And I just could not get them all on the same page. And I was trying to explain how to hold the space with their arms in a really big shape. And because I was in my house, I thought, brilliant. And I ran and I got this big life-size stuffed animal that I we bought our son for um, his birthday. It's probably four feet tall, this thing. And I grabbed it and I held onto it. And I was like, now if I was partnering with this bear, you see what I mean? And immediately they were like, oh, raise their hand. I have, I have a stuffed animal just like that, but it's a panda. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me about it. Well, tell me how tall he is. Can you be that tall when you dance? Right. Or, um, and then the other one raised her hand. I have an owl, an owl and he's a stuffed owl. And he's a little bit smaller than that. Great. So what would you do if that owl could blow up and be as big as possible? How would you hold the space around that owl? I mean, I immediately had to derail the plan, you know, and go to the next best thing. And I, and then I had them in, I had them there, but had I held on rigidly to my plan, had I just tried to guys, let's get it together, guys, let's pay attention. I, I see you talking. It wasn't going to work. It was, I, they, they were gone. They were not interested in anything I had to say. And I don't blame them. I mean, I was probably pretty boring to them at the time, you know, but I brought in the stuffies game changer game over. And then I had their <laughs> attention. So I, I have, I'm constantly derailing my plan and following the lead of students more especially when they're younger um, because of the processing and because I know that I'm going to get my cues from them and that's how I'm going to, you know, be able to give them the information that I'm trying to give them. Hopefully they'll receive it, but listening to what I'm getting from them, I think that's another part of the listening is pick up on what I'm getting and go with that. Yeah. And read the room, like know the room that you're in and know your audience, right? Yeah. 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 Um, So for teachers who are maybe hesitant to use dance or movement in their classrooms, because, you know, I know a lot of teachers, we, we talk about the, the levels of risk when it comes to leveraging art forms, you know, and visual art is at the bottom rung because most people can at least look at a piece of art, whereas dance is all the way at the top because it, it's going to really force teachers to get out of their comfort zone as well um, and, and move. 
um, what are some simple strategies that they could use? Because I know a lot of kids, that's their access point is movement. What are some simple mm. ways that, that educators can, can leverage that? Mm. Well, I think, I think you kind of said it when you said like teachers, you know, need to sort of look at themselves first. It's like, look at where my fear is around movement and, you know, um, not that I'm advocating that we bring ballet into the classroom as a way to get our lesson across. But I do think that, um, you know, if we take this label of dancer off for a moment and just realize that dance, everyone is a dancer, everyone, everyone came out moving. That's what we do. And dance is just movement. Sometimes it incorporates rhythm. Sometimes we use music. I think if we really just break it down to the fact that we're all dancers and we all are movers, then it takes the pressure off of having to do it right. Um, you know, my theory is that we're all dancers. I, I really believe that from the bottom of my heart. So coming from that place, I think some of the things that we could do is, um, I mean, for the little ones, even if it's just standing up and do, doing freeze dance, you know, putting on the song and then stopping and wiggling around and then stopping when the movement, when the music stops, that's an easy surefire way to get everyone moving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have some exercises like um, finding all the different ways that we can move a body part. Like how many different ways can we move our head? How many different ways can we move our elbows? Um, maybe taking a body part and writing it, having the kids write it down on a piece of paper and then putting it in a bucket. And then someone picks up, you know, a piece of paper and it says wrists. Oh, great. How many different ways can we move our wrists? I'm going to put the music on three, two, one, go, you know, and then they try and then freeze. Okay. Someone else come and get the body part out of the bucket. And then that kind of thing where, you know, where they're just, you know, and less explaining, just sort of like jumping right into it. This takes a lot on the educator's part, but I think if we view it as a form of play, um, mm -hmm. it can be very helpful for us to not feel like we need to like, you know, drive the boat that, that throughout the entire time, like let the kids do it. Just give them the idea. Let them do it. Let mm -hmm. them do the work. They should be working harder than, than you at that point. Um, with the older kids, you know, it gets a little trickier with the, you know, with, with the, with the teens, um, older grades, I think some of the things that we can do is that is that idea of like writing an idea down on a piece of paper and putting it in a bucket. And sometimes I like to think of looking at your kids more, look at your students more when they're older and let them again, do some of the heavy lifting. Like, all right, everyone this week, everyone's, you know, job by Monday, let's say over the weekend, everyone needs to come up with a song. It needs to be a clean version, but I need to hear your favorite song. And I want you to write it down on a piece of paper and we're going to, you know, put, rip it up in a piece of paper. We're going to put it in a bucket and we're just going to get up and we're going to get up and move. I'm going to take the song. I'm going to put it through YouTube on my smart board or wherever, you know, I put it, um, play, you know, I'm going to hit play and we're just going to move. And when I stop the music, we're going to stop three, two, one, go. I mean, before they can even get out of their chairs, the music's on because mm -hmm. once the music's on, that's going to change the energy of the room. Um, again, less explaining more, just doing, um, I think that kind of helps, you know, the, the students feel a part of it if they bring in the music choices. Um, and I also think, you know, with the, with the little ones and, and actually even all grades, I think you could even just start with like, you know, some of these songs that we have to like learn how to count money, learn how to tell time, you know, YouTube has all these like great educational songs, how let's work on putting movement to this, right? Mm -hmm. So this time we're going to sing the money counting song and we're going to stand up and we're only going to move our arms while we sing the song in as many different ways as you can that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, or we're going to stand up that, that count that, that time telling song that we've been learning this time, we're going to stand up and sing it. 
and we're going to walk around the room and we're going to march and we're going to pick up our knees really high, like anything to get them moving. That's dancing. There are pieces made of marching, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if we simplify it and look at it as like dance anywhere, it can even be just like banging your hands on the desk and, mm -hmm. and while you sing your song, I think a lot of that can be helpful incorporating these like learning these songs that are that are made for learning specific lessons, standing up and putting movement to it. And it doesn't have to be choreographed. It can really just come from the kids. And that's where you look to your kids and just let it roll, let it come out of them. It doesn't have to be packaged. It's going to be really messy and it's probably going to get pretty loud. Let it rip, shut the door and let it go. Because I think those are the moments we're looking for release, right? Yeah. We're looking for release yeah. and you'll probably have a better sense of control when it's done than you did before because <laughs> they blew off some steam, right? Absolutely. So we're going to close with the question that I always ask everyone. Um, yeah. What is, what do you feel like is the biggest thing or the most important thing that educators can walk away with from this year? Uh, from this year? Mm -hmm. um, well, from the topic, from, from the topic we were just talking about with dancing, mm -hmm. I think um, dance anywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> and dance is within all of us. We were born moving. So those two things. But I, I do think in terms of, from an educational standpoint, I think recognizing that we're all different. We all learn in different ways, aside from neurodiversity stuff. Like we, you know, if visual isn't learning, go to, go to verbal. If verbal isn't working, go to physical. Um, you know, go to the, the ports of learning, the, the heart, mind, soul, and spirit, go to hit those points and see if that helps. But I think, you know, walking away, recognizing that we're all different and the more fun that we can make our learning, the better, because especially after the year that we've had, gosh, learning happens everywhere. How can we just keep it as fun as we can and take the pressure off with like, you know what, we're doing the best that we can. If I know that all of my students work and learn differently. The best thing I can do is just make it as fun as possible for all of us, because when we're happier, we learn better. Exactly. Thank you so much for your oh time gosh. today, Shelly. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, all right. We'll see you at the conference. Yay, can't wait. Yes, me too. All right. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash Spark Chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show, and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.